Welcome to the Mike Smith Show podcast. This is your one-stop shop for all the latest happenings in BC. From breaking news and developing stories to giving the big headlines a closer look, the Mike Smith Show is here to keep you dialed in and up to date. Let's begin. Hey, good morning to you. This is Mike Smith. We got a terrific Friday morning show, and we start this morning with my first guest, John Rustad, the leader of the BC Conservative Party. He is the MLA for Nechaco Lakes. We're going to talk about the idea of a provincial police force in British Columbia. Is that the direction we should go in? Maybe phase out the RCMP, bring in a provincial police force instead? Let's discuss it with John Rustad. John, thank you very much for coming in today. Morning, Mike. Thanks for having me in. You bet. Thank you for doing it. Okay, this is. Let's first of all let's talk about the turmoil we've seen in poli- policing here in, in British Columbia, especially in Metro Vancouver and and the city of Surrey. So we saw the Solicitor General this week, Mike Farnworth, bring the hammer down here on the city of Surrey, saying we're going to force you provincial power here. We're going to force you to transition to this new municipal police force phase out the RCMP. What did you think of that decision? Well, I think it was a very authoritarian move by this government. I mean, at the end of the day, the policing has always been the responsibility of municipalities. Surrey is paying for the police force uh, that they have. uh, And ultimately, you know, the elected officials should be able to make a choice. But I think the, the, the biggest tragedy through all of this is the fact that information has been kept from the public in terms yeah. of the challenges. And when you look at RCMP really across the province, we are seeing a shortfall of police officers. Um, and this, this past winter, I asked a question in question period about this, where the RCMP, by the numbers I have, are short 400 staff across the province. And this off number is closer to 1,500 because of retirements and or because of people on leave and these sort of things. And so I think Farnworth is looking at this issue saying, well, how on earth can, can Surrey staff up but the reality is all of this information should have been out years ago so that Surrey wasn't put in this kind of a situation and, and that the government then didn't have to be taking an authoritarian okay, approach. Okay, you and I were just chatting off air here about this, and you think that this is maybe one of the reasons that Farnworth did this, because of the shortage of RCMP officers all around the province. Well, if you if you phase out the RCMP in Surrey, the biggest RCMP detachment in the whole country... Does that that frees up some RCMP officers to travel to these other detachments? Do you think that's well? If, you think that's a factor? I I would certainly think. I think when Farnworth is looking at it, and he was very careful with his words, he talked about what was in the best interest for Surrey and the province. Yeah. So he hinted that his hope is that he'd be able to have these RCMP come out of Surrey and be able to meet some of these problems that he has elsewhere in the province. So I mean, but the reality is. He's been in denial of this problem for years. And actually, this is a problem that even started before the NDP came into power. It could even started under the B.C. Liberals, that we've had this shortfall of RCMP, and it's just been this growing. We need to see, if we're going to stay with the RCMP, we need to see more trained RCMP officers um, coming in and being available in British Columbia. But I, I think, certainly, I think Varnworth has uh, another thought in mind, which is if he forces Surrey to do this, if he takes the authoritarian approach, and overrules the democratically elected decision-making within Surrey, it's going to free up officers to help with policing elsewhere in the province. Okay, so when you call this an authoritarian move by Farnworth, do you, you therefore think that he should have allowed the city of Surrey to make their own decision on this? They should be allowed to keep the RCMP if they want to? Well, I think this is a decision that, quite frankly, has been in the making for years. Uh, yeah. Because of the problem, they they weren't honest with the people in Surrey. So, I mean, the previous government in Surrey knew that they had a problem with recruiting and they didn't have enough officers. They they weren't getting the services that they wanted, so they wanted to move away from the RCMP. Where was yeah. the government then in terms of just giving the correct information to the people to be able to make a decision on that? But at the end of the day, you know, we have a democracy, do, do we not? We elect people to make decisions on our behalf, and that is at the municipal level or that is at the at the provincial level. The municipal government has the authority to decide how it wants policing services. And right or wrong, and you know, I'm not arguing that the decision was the right decision by Surrey, but right or wrong, it's the provincial government's role to then uh, support whatever that local decision is and figure out how to make it work. So he should have stayed out of it. Well, I think, I think ultimately the error was made before the previous yeah. two elections. This information should have been made available and we should have been having this discussion because if the RCMP are not training enough people to be able to service British Columbia, should we be considering a provincial police force instead to be able to meet our needs? Okay, okay, let's let's talk about that now. My, my guest is BC Conservative Party leader John Rustad. So this whole idea of 
phasing out the RCMP, never mind just in Surrey, but in the entire province, and replace them with a provincial police force. This is very intriguing because you've had an, you had an all-party committee of the legislature recently recommended that that's what we should do in B.C. Let's have a listen to NDP MLA Doug Routley here. He was a member of this committee. Have a listen to him here make the case for a provincial police force in British Columbia to replace the Mounties. Listen to this. Having accountability, having the, the ability to set the goals, set the priorities, set the um, standards for recruitment and advancement within a force, the deployment of, of resources, all of that will be in the uh, grasp of the people of B.C., what do you think of that argument here? Get rid of the Mounties? Let's have our own provincial police force. Well, you know, this is something that has been talked about for years. Ontario obviously has a provincial police force. Quebec has a provincial police force. We're the only largest, we're the you know, third largest province in the country, and we don't have our own provincial force. Other provinces are looking at it as well. So, yeah. I mean, at the end of the day, what are we trying to do? We're trying to provide the best policing services we can. We've got rampant crime. We've got, you know, we can get into talking about the, the revolving door of, of these prolific offenders uh, that and all the frustrations of our police force. So then I know the the police force themselves, they're doing the best they can. They're working hard. They're doing every day. They come and try to make sure they protect people, but they're not getting the support that's needed. And so, you know, if we can't make that work with the RCMP, then let's put the information out to the people in the province and ask them, here's the problems we have. Here are the options we have in front of us. What would you like to do? And I think ultimately a provincial police force is something that needs to be on the table and be thought about. So, a referendum you're describing there. You think that's I, what we should have? I mean, at the end of the day, I'm I'm criticizing the provincial government for having an authoritarian approach in their in their heavy-handedness with Surrey. Yeah. Um, and my perspective is, I actually think we should be supporting democracy, not authoritarianism. And and let's put it to the people. Let's give them a voice. This is why you know last winter I said there shouldn't be any no, any new taxes in British Columbia without it being done by referendum. We need hmm. to make sure that people have an engagement in their government and that governments don't start becoming arrogant and authoritarian. Well, I think maybe one of the big big mistakes in Surrey was not having a referendum there on, on the future of their police force. That would have clarified a lot of things and maybe we wouldn't have wasted so much time and money here well, over I, many years. And I can tell you, I was on a radio station in uh, in Surrey uh, last winter and I suggested that is what they should the government should do. They should yeah. p- pivot at this point and put a referendum because then you can have the information given to the people and let them make the decision. Why keep it in secret? I mean, governments yeah. love to hold back information so that they can spin and they can work in the shadows. Give it to the people so, and let so, them decide. Right, okay, so tell me the precise policy on this now. You're the leader of the B.C. Conservative Party. Are you saying that if your party was in power... You would hold what a binding referendum on whether we should replace the RCMP in Surrey? Yes. It, no, okay. no, no, not on, on Surrey. In, in British Columbia, in British I mean, Columbia, in British yes. Columbia. Yeah. But we would make sure that there is a, a good public debate. Information is provided. Yeah. All the issues are put on the table, and let the people make a decision. You know, voters are smart. They can see this stuff as long as you give them the information they need to be able to make those decisions. Yeah. So I, I don't, I don't have any problem with the idea of going to people and asking them for input. I mean, obviously, I have a perspective myself in bringing it forward, but. You know, I, I believe in democracy. Which side are you on it? Do you think well, I, we should have a provincial force? I, my perspective is if, if the federal government is not doing what it needs to do to step up to the plate to provide us what we need, then, yeah, we need to be considering a provincial police force. Okay. But at the same time, I know there's lots of people that are passionate. I mean, let's face it, the RCMP are an icon in this country, right? I mean, they're, you know, the, the Red Surge, uh, it really is, you know, something special as part of Canada, even though sure. it's, I think it's being removed from the passport these days. <laughs> but, yeah. but that's another issue. But it is that you know iconic issue for, for us, and, and lots of people are attached to it, and I get it. No police force is perfect, but at the end of the day, we need to be, say what is best for the province in terms of being able to provide policing, give the information to people, and let them decide. All right, welcome back to the show. And, uh, yeah, there's a little Tony Bennett there coming in there. Very sad that he has uh, passed away, and a uh, real giant in music for sure. I really enjoyed his music. My guest is John Rustad. He's the leader of the, B- the Conservative Party of British Columbia here. Okay, let's go to your phone calls. Lori in Mission. Hi, Lori. Hi, Mike. Um, I think that it is the logical progression. Ontario has their own, Quebec has their own, and the RCMP, I understand they're contractual, but as you expand, 
and you need more, you can't get more RCMP officers. And if a city has to burden its taxpayers with the money that's required to provide a, a city force, we already pay tons of taxes at all levels, but I think it's time that the B.C. government put its money where its mouth is and give us the safety that they tell us we so desperately need. Okay, th- thank you for that call. Well, you know, John, your thoughts? No, and, th- and thank you for the call as well and, and the comments. I mean, that's, that's very succinct in terms of what my thinking is too. And, and quite frankly, I think we need, actually need to be expanding policing. When you look at what's going on in our streets, the open drug scenes, all of that sort of thing, you know, we need to be changing that, and you can't do that with what we have. And if you're talking about being able to expand uh, police to be able to try to make our community safer, we're not going to be able to do it with the staffing of the RCMP. Well, speaking of burdening taxpayers, though, I, I wonder if a provincial police force would be more expensive than the RCMP, because don't we get a 10% stipend or subsidy from the feds for well, running for the, under, the NDP, under the RCMP contract? You know, that's an interesting question. That's that's one of the bits of information that needs to be put out to the public is just yeah. what the cost is compared yeah. to what the cost would be. And, of course, we're projecting what the cost would be. I'm not sure exactly how that would play out. We need a tremendous amount of uh, work and research to make sure people have that information. You know, Christy Clark, the former, the former Liberal Premier of B.C., once said that um, a provincial police force might actually be less expensive. And, and, I, and I actually dug that clip out this morning. Let's listen to her. This is going back a few years. That's Christy Clark on the cost of a provincial police force. Listen to this. Having our own provincial police force could be cheaper than the deal that the that's on the table um, from Service Canada today for the RCMP. Okay, well, she th- she argued back then it could be cheaper. I'm I'm not sure if it would be, but like you said, that that's something that would have to be put in front of people. Let's go back to the phone calls. Gary in Surrey. Hi, Gary. Go ahead. Uh, good morning, Mike. Uh, thanks for letting me be on the air this morning. Um, sure. RCMP is doing a great job. Uh, I live in Surrey, in Surrey, I think across the province and across the nation. In terms of resourcing, um, all industries across the board are, uh, you know, experiencing short of finding qualified uh, candidates to fill these positions, including OPP. Now, in terms of switching over to the provincial police force, I 100% agree that there should be a referendum. There should be, um, you know, public should be given the information to make an informed choice. Uh, Accountability-wise, our CMP, for understand, is accountable to the mayor at the mayor level as well as to the provincial government and the federal government. Thanks for your uh, topic and letting me on the air. Thank you. Thank you for the call. Your thoughts. Yeah, thank you for that. And, and, uh, you know, I don't dispute the fact that, you know, I know lots of people in the RCMP. I know lots of people in police forces really across the province, both municipal and the the RCMP. And I know they they do their best. They do a good job. and, And... you know, I've got relationships with, with folks up in my riding uh, in terms of it. Um, but the question is really, you know, if we need to expand policing, how can we do that? And the, the call is right. I mean, we have a labor shortage. We've got a challenge with this. And that has to be some of the information that's also put on the table in terms of what those choices are for voters to be able to make the correct decision. Adam on the line in Burnaby. Hi, Adam. Go ahead. Hey, Mike. Yeah, I Hi. think, um, you know, if we're, if we're talking about, like, a BCPD, I agree that a referendum is the way we need to do this. I mean, you look at what happened in Surrey, that should have been put to a referendum. It could have avoided the whole mess. I mean, you know, when you're talking about people's safety, I think the people uh, should should make the final decision uh, when it comes to their own safety. Yeah, no, I agree. I, I think the, uh, the if we're going to consider a provincial police force, I think a referendum makes, makes a lot of sense. Let's go to Al in South Surrey. Hi, Al, go ahead. Yes, we actually had two referendums. The last two elections, the main issues was either getting rid of or keeping the RCMP. So basically, Surrey is almost split 50-50. In fact, in the last election, we heard more about the woman driving over McCallum's foot, and I never heard about that same woman parading in front of his house against getting rid of the RCMP. So Okay. Okay, okay I'll, I'll th- thank you for that. Well, I, I think people are divided in the city of Surrey over their police forces. There's no question it is, yeah. but that's why it is important to make sure everybody has the information. Yeah. Right? And <clears throat> information has been withheld from people and I don't believe that's what government should do. Government should be open and transparent, give information to the people and then let the people you know judge government by how they react to that information. Squeeze in one more call, Robin in Vancouver. Robin, you got like thirty seconds here. Yeah, all right. If if the uh, all the provinces form their own police force, 
they would have to deal with Ottawa because Ottawa lays down the criminal code. Okay. Well, that is, it is a good question, and, and there are issues certainly with what Ottawa's done uh, on bail reform, for example. There's a number of things that Ottawa's doing that create a real problem for police forces with the with the criminal code, and there's some options we can look at in BC uh, outside of that. But of course, that is purely in in the federal jurisdiction. We we just got 30 seconds left here. How is it going with the Conservative Party and, and this move to take over the Conservative Party? You got booted out of the Liberal Party there by Kevin Falcon. Do you have any regrets in what you're doing now leading this party in well, 30 I can, seconds? <clears throat> I can tell you, uh, it certainly could take longer than 30 seconds, but yeah. in, the, in the Coles Nose version, what I can say is this. Um, I am more engaged now with people around the province. I've seen more people come in and be engaged with politics, be optimistic about being able to have a choice, being able to have a, a future other than what was there. And, and so it's been very fulfilling. It's been great. All right. Let's keep talking about the RCMP in the city of Surrey and in British Columbia as a whole, especially in the aftermath of the order this week by the provincial government to phase out the RCMP in Surrey, continue the transition to a new local police department. My guest is Brian Sove. Brian is the president of the National Police Federation. That is the union for RCMP officers in Canada. And I'm very pleased to welcome him back. Brian, thanks for coming on. Thanks for having me, Mike. Yeah, I appreciate it a lot. And and I know that this ruling, this order by the provincial government was not the outcome you were hoping for or campaigning for. What are your th- let's talk about that first. What are your thoughts on the provincial the provincial decision here on policing in Surrey? Well, I think uh, I think obviously we're disappointed. You know, uh, the RCMP has served Surrey for in excess of 70 years. They've done an excellent job the last decade specifically, you know, a reduction in the violent crime severity index, reduction in the crime severity index, uh, a very good uh, job done by our members and not to mention the last five years working under this cloud of uncertainty, continuing to show up to work and continuing to do a fantastic job. Uh, you know, the voters wanted that. Uh, they wanted to continue on with that. All of the polling we've done externally uh, with the uh, residents of Surrey showed basically don't throw the baby out with the bathwater. Um, and unfortunately, the uh, minister has chosen to go in a different direction. And that's uh, obviously he believes his decision to make. And we'll just sit back and see what the city does. Okay, we'll see what the city does. So do you mean like, you think there's a pause? This is not over? I have no idea, and I'm not going to presuppose um, anything what the mayor is going to do. Uh, clearly, in her statement, um, she and city council will examine their options. They will look at uh, the decision from the minister and uh, determine where they're going to go, if they're going to accept that, if they're not going to accept that, and off you go. My only concern, obviously, now is, you know, um, uh, our members are challenged and frustrated with the amount of time this has taken. I accept that the SPS members have been doing an excellent job for the time they've been under this cloud of uncertainty, but for our members, it's been five, almost five years complete where they're sitting there saying, you know, what does my career hold for me? Where can I go? Uh, You know, I've had a commitment from um, discussions with the commanding officer and the commissioner of the RCMP that they will be considered uh, as priority staffing placements. Uh, the RCMP is not going to be forcing them to go to some place they don't want to go. Uh, so they'll consider uh, all of their career aspirations if they want to stay in the Lower Mainland. If they want to go to Nova Scotia, we'll do everything we can to get them where they want to go to uh, recognize the amount of dedication they give in the city of Surrey in the last yeah. five plus years. Let me ask you about some of the arguments that, that came forward here uh, opposed to the RCMP in, in the city of Surrey. And I think the city has been divided on this. There's been political division on it as well. Let me play a clip here for you. This is on yesterday's show. Cash Heed, uh, the former solicitor general of the province, he supports this move by the province. He thinks the B.C. government is doing the right thing here in forcing through the Surrey, the new Surrey Police Service. And listen, he's going to explain why here. Have a listen. Here he is on the show yesterday, and I'll get your thoughts. Cash Heed. 
We have 1,500 vacancies in the RCMP and BC alone, 500 clear vacancies and 1,000 people on other leave. They cannot do it. They cannot continue on with contract policing because they just don't have the resources to do it. They've stretched themselves too thin. The RCMP is stretched too thin, just not up to the task. Your thoughts on that, Brian? Well, you know, it's unfortunate that a former Solicitor General actually doesn't report actual factual information one would think that they would actually give you the facts, and we have actually made those facts available. The BC of the RCMP has made those facts available. Those 1,500 vacancies, 1,000 of them are occupied by people who are taking maternal or paternal leave or injured at work. That happens in any organization. Those positions cannot be filled because they are already occupied by people. The other 500, I find it's disingenuous that the minister the Premier, or even a former Solicitor General is suggesting that the RCMP can't fill those vacancies because those vacancies actually have been unfunded by the province or frozen since 2012. So the RCMP cannot even fill those positions if they have the bodies available because the money is not there to pay for them. It's only until last year when this Premier chose to uh, refund about 277 of those 500 frozen vacancies over the next three years. And the RCMP is well on its way to filling those positions. But even that, at the end of the those three years, will still not even be at the 2012 authorized strength of the BCRCMP. So the responsibility actually sits in the lap of the government for not funding the positions. And now they're mm. using the argument that they don't have those 500 positions filled because they haven't funded them. So it's kind of disingenuous. Speak, I'm speaking to Brian Sauve, president of the Union for RCMP Officers in Canada, it's the National Police Federation. Let me play a clip here for you from Mike Farnworth speaking this week, his decision to force through the new Surrey Police Service in the city of Surrey phase out the RCMP. And he was asked, why are you doing this? And he said, here is one of the key reasons here. He was very worried about restaffing the RCMP in Surrey uh, if if the city had it got its way to keep the Mounties. Here's what he had to say, Brian, then I'll get your thoughts. Mike Farnworth. If you have a mass exodus of Surrey Police Service officers, how are you going to restaff them? Uh, and taking them from you know, um, other communities, whether it's through overtime, taking resources from you know, highway patrol or major crime unit or other specialty units, that impacts other communities. And I said, that cannot happen. Okay, what do you think of that argument? This Surrey Police Service is already staffed up with hundreds of staff, and he said he didn't want to see a mass exodus of those those staff out of the city. Your thoughts? Well, uh, I don't think anyone can presuppose what may happen to uh, serving Surrey Police Service members. Uh, obviously, those are individual choices that they can make, whether they choose to go to a different police service, leave policing altogether, uh, go back to their home agency in a different province, or come over to the RCMP. However, obviously, the assumption is that none of those operational Surrey Police Service members would be interested in patching over to the RCMP, which I think the RCMP would disagree with, as you saw the um, officer in charge of Surrey presented before council that uh, there were, what, 80-plus who had expressed interest informally and a number who were already in the application phases. So it's unfortunate that uh, an assumption um, has led to uh, a conclusion. Um, but, you know, I respect that Minister Farnworth is concerned for the entire province, and he, um, he has made his decision based on that. Hey, Brian, this is, uh, it seems to me, a very crucial time for the RCMP in our country right now. Uh, there are a lot of challenges. Right here in British Columbia, there's been talk about, forget about phasing out the RCMP just in the city of Surrey. Maybe we should have our own provincial police force in British Columbia instead of the Mounties, just like Ontario does, just like Quebec does. We just talked about that with the leader of the B.C. Conservative Party here who thinks that should be the case. There's an all-party committee of the legislature here has recommended a, a provincial police force instead of the RCMP. What do you think of that? Well, I think any body that governs taxpayer dollars 
should relatively regularly review how those dollars are spent in any area. So public safety, the entire continuum of it, is a big piece of uh, a tax base. Uh, you know, for example, the city of Surrey looked at it and said, for our residents, you know, the RCMP is more effective use of our tax dollars. Uh, the province, I welcome um, them initiating a review of uh, policing services of the BC RCMP. Uh, we've seen it in other jurisdictions. We've seen it um, in uh, uh, different communities across the, the East Coast. Um, there's an ongoing one in Alberta. And, and it's an opportunity for the RCMP to, A, improve service delivery, but also show the effective they are with everything that they do. Um, so, um, yeah, happy to have that discussion and, uh, and, and look at how uh, the province is best served by uh, the RCMP or some alternative model. Hey, Brian, final question for you. What are you hearing from RCMP officers on the ground in Surrey after this decision by the province this week? I mean, are they feeling demoralized, let down? What are you hearing from your people? Well, I think, as I mentioned at the beginning, you know, they've showed a, a massive amount of dedication to the residents of Surrey over the last five years, almost of uncertainty. Um, yeah. And, you, you know, to the, the, the swings in emotion, and this is both for SPS members and RCMP members, especially over the last year, uh, you know, where you had an election campaign, where you had reports, where you had the first recommendation, where you had the second uh, report, and now ultimately, like that, that's an emotional roller coaster for anybody working in any organization thinking my future is uncertain. So now, obviously, there's something closer to finality pending what the city decides to do. Um, and I think they are feeling uh, a little demoralized. Um, you know, commitments from the commissioner, the commanding officer, the officer in charge, obviously, that they will be taken care of. Uh, and as we mentioned in our media release, I think it was on Thursday last week, um, we're really looking forward to the minister and the premier putting an end date to this transition. Up until now, it's just been, hey, let's uh, work day to day. There's no end date in sight. Let's let the SPS build as they see fit. What our members need to see is if this is going to be uh, the final decision, then pick a date and we now have some certainty and we can start planning our lives okay. around that certainty of a date. Brian, thank you for your time today. I appreciate it. Thank you, Mike. Have a great weekend. Okay, let's talk about the explosion in van life, especially in Squamish. The number of people who are living in vans and RVs in the city, there are a lot. The camping spots are pretty much full up. A lot of people parking their vans and RVs in the parking lot at the Walmart, which uh, has a policy around North America of letting people effectively camp overnight in the Walmart parking lot. I've got the Squamish mayor standing by, Armand Herford standing by. First, let's have a listen to this report now. Global News reporter Kristen Robinson. After camping outside the Squamish Walmart for months, this is the end of the road for a few dozen RV dwellers. The big box chain known for allowing people to overnight in its parking lots across North America, handing out notices for long-term vehicles to be removed or get towed. I think it's more a group of locals that own houses that stirred the pot. Okay, you heard the voice at the end there of James Ducker. He's one of the men who's been living in his van in the Walmart parking lot in Squamish. Let's check in now with the mayor of Squamish, Armand Herford. Very pleased to welcome the mayor. Mayor Herford, thank you for coming on today. No problem. Thank you for having me and taking interest in this topic. Yeah, for sure. I know this is a, a, of key interest to a lot of people in Squamish, for sure. Uh, what is the situation with the people who are living, uh, who have been living in their in their vans and RVs in the in the Walmart parking lot? In that story we just heard, like some people were just living there, like almost like permanently. Is that what was going on? Um, well, I think 
in the general sense, what was happening at Walmart is we've seen sort of throughout the community uh, at different areas at different points in, in time. And really what, what we have is a, it's very complex. We have a mix of, say, um, shorter-term uh, recreational tourist-type uh, visit- visitors that are um, making their visit in their, in their vehicles. Um, and then we have, um, you know, a, another category where uh, these are people that, are, that, work, in, that work in Squamish and uh, are, for various reasons, housing affordability is, is uh, chief among them have uh, need have found the need to live in their vehicle, and then we have um, another category essentially that you know the that are uh, vulnerable populations and with complex um, um, conditions. And um, but they all what makes it extra complicated is and there's other I'm sure there's there's this is obviously three general statements, but. Um, they all they all present very very similarly, you know, as, as someone in in their in their living in their in their vehicle. But it's it's much more complex than just than just that. Yeah. And, and I think the mix uh, at Walmart, we don't have any um, uh, data on, you know, how, how many in which in which category or, or I don't have anything more granular than that. But I, I would expect the situation there to to reflect that general mix as well. Yeah, for sure. I mean, this is like a a problem throughout the, throughout the city for sure. Let me play another clip here for you from from James Ducker here. This is the fellow you just heard in the Global News report. He was a man who was living in his van in the in the Walmart parking lot in Squamish and and by the way, this is a guy who's got a job, okay? So he he works, he works 6 days a week. And but he just says, "Look, this is the only thing I I can afford here in Squamish." Have a listen to what he had to say here, Mayor, and then I'll get your thoughts. We're just down on our luck. We're trying to make the best of what we, what we can do with what we have. Like, not everybody can afford $3,000 a month in rent. Okay. Okay. He says, look, we're down on our luck. Not everyone can afford $3,000 in rent. Is, is that what a place is going for in Squamish these days, Mayor? Um, yeah. As a, as a renter myself, I can speak to this. Um, and um, my experience is that um, I think I've lived in four different places since I was first elected in 2018, and I now have the pleasure of paying uh, more than twice as much for less than uh, half the space. So we've seen a dramatic increase in, in rents, and we have a shockingly low vacancy rate, somewhere in the neighborhood of 0.5%. Um, so affordable housing has been um, one of the key focuses of both the last council, which I was part of, and and this council um, that I'm serving with at, at this point. So I think there's a lot of work to be done on our uh, affordable housing uh, here in Squamish. And I know this is an issue uh, really across the province and, and across the country, really, but we are in a, a, a particularly acute, uh, the pointy end of, of this, and uh, we have a, a lot of work to do. And, um, and we've been making strides forward it with affordable housing but uh the solutions just take uh, take time yeah and what are you hearing from residents residents in squamish and citizens in squamish are you hearing complaints because we've heard in the global news reporting this week that people are complaining about garbage being left around you know even like human waste being uh, on trails are you hearing complaints like that yeah, we do. We do hear um, complaints like that, and that's sort of those types of uh, issues are why we've been working um, implemented a camping um, uh, bylaw to really focus on ensuring that we don't have um, uh, that type of activity in our environmentally sensitive areas around our, our rivers and, and estuary, and. Um, so we absolutely hear um, hear those, and you know, I think that um, we've been working to have uh, more publicly accessible washrooms, even outhouses, spread out through throughout the community to help um, to help to help with that with that issue. To, um, and we've introduced a mapping layer that even locates those. So we're doing a lot of very, um, I think, very proactive things to. Um, 
to help mitigate uh, the impact. And, and really, that also has positive benefits for uh, other members of the community um, as well yeah. as they go about their day. But these are absolutely uh, things that we that we can't be having. And, and essentially, um, you know, the gross, the large number of people that we that we see uh, both visitors and, and longer term just can't practice no that large number just cannot practice no trace practices in the same space yeah. it's not, not practical and and uh, I know that Walmart the Walmart situation in particular uh, there are no services there besides mm-hmm. the store which is not open 24 hours a day so um, and at a certain point um, I, I've been quite impressed with the uh, how uh, generous Walmart has been up to the, up to this point um, and clearly there's been um, you know uh, there's a li- there's a limit to that and, and really it's uh, it seems to be behavior driven um, with these exact issues the, the garbage right. and the, the waste and in other areas it's um, and there as well we're concerned about animal attractants we are you know uh, steps from the wilderness which is part of the reason folks like to like to come here and and in other contexts um, really concerned about wildfire interface to our community as well which all ties are in. you are you looking, just have a minute left here, Mayor. Are, I don't think this is going to get much better anytime soon, given the affordability crisis that we have here in, in trying to find housing. So you got a lot of people living in vans and RVs in Squamish. Would you like to, need some help? Like, what's your message to the provincial government here? we got a minute here. Yeah, thank you. Well, one, we've been advocating to the province for um, years uh, to increase um, the camp the camping capacity around Squamish for our short term, uh, for our, you know, those recreation visitors that I was, that I was speaking about. And I think that's one of the the areas where we can um, uh, really have a, have an impact because there are places to go camp and that's really where you should be where there's facilities, but we do need provincial support there. And that can be through rec sites and trails or provincial park um, expansion. Uh, So that is that's, um, that we've been we've been pushing for and i i know that the province is taking um aggressive action on affordable housing and we are um looking to leverage every possible opportunity that comes forward that way but really the the um that short-term uh, recreation visitor is um is is something where i think we can make a big inroads in and those okay. are the folks that need um some training on how to be um how to have a low impact where to you know how they, they're not member uh members of the community as, as such and, they, and uh it's so our bylaws have really been focusing on educating those people and we've been spending a lot of time and resources on on that aspect as well thank, sure that we, thank you thank you mayor herford i appreciate your time today difficult challenge for your for the city of squamish for sure appreciate the time thank you for the platform appreciate it Okay, here we go now with a wild weekend in the city of Seattle. You heard a little Taylor Swift there off the top. Yeah, the Swifties will be out in force there in Seattle. She is doing two shows this weekend in the Emerald City, tomorrow night, Sunday night. If you're thinking about going down, buying a ticket, forget about it. Unless you want to mortgage your house to buy a ticket, you can't get a ticket to this show. Also in town, the Seattle Mariners playing a set of games versus Canada's own Toronto Blue Jays. Tons of people from Vancouver and B.C. heading down to Seattle, including my guest Rob Williams from the Daily Hive. He's getting set to hit the road. Hey, Rob, thanks for coming on. Yeah, no problem. Thank, thank goodness for Nexus. I, I, I'm hoping that's going to save me at the border today. Okay, you think it's going to be pretty crazy at the border? <laughs> I do, I do. I think it's going to be, I, I think uh, the day that you really need to watch out for is, is Saturday because that's the, that's the first day of, uh, of Taylor Swift. She's playing uh, two concerts, so Saturday evening and Sunday evening. But you've also got the Blue Jays playing an afternoon game at 1 o'clock on Saturday. You're going to have all those thousands of Blue Jays fans coming down from uh, from BC, and you're also going to have a heck of a lot of people uh, from this side of the border going down to to see Taylor Swift. So uh, I, I guess it depends on if people are making it a, a, you know, a three day weekend or a two day weekend for their for their trip down. Oh man, it is going to be wild down there because Taylor Swift is playing at. The football stadium, right, Lumen Field. That's right. You got seventy thousand people 
Uh, we'll be at Lumen Field for, uh, for Taylor Swift, and you'll have about 50,000 or so uh, at T-Mobile Park, which is across the street where <laughs> the Seattle Mariners play. Uh, and appara- apparently the Swifties arrive very early. So yeah. <laughs> the, the Jays game, I'm, I'm, pr- I'm going to the Saturday game. I'm, I'm praying it doesn't go into extra innings because apparently like when the game is expected to be let out around 4 o'clock, apparently that's already go time for the Swifties. They're going to be waiting outside trying to get into Lumen Field for the, for the concert that starts uh, – starts three hours later oh yeah they come down early and like massive numbers because one of the things i was hearing that this taylor swift fans they like to buy line up to buy the merchandise outside the stadium and that starts like hours before the show so i mean it is going to be absolutely bananas down there so so now you're going to the blue jays game on saturday are you going to the taylor's one of the taylor swift concerts too (laughs) i'm not going to the taylor i'm not a swifty i'm not a swifty mike but no, I'm not. I'm not. Uh, Rob, Rob, I'm it's not it's it's okay. Rob, it's okay. It's okay to admit you're a Swifty here. It's okay. <laughs> I would if I was, but no, I'm not. Uh, <laughs> not at the uh, Taylor Swift concert. So I'm going to save my money. Okay, so what are a Seattle officials saying down there? Because they're already putting out warnings. Like the crowds are going to be massive, and public transit is going to be strained to the breaking point here. Yeah, apparently they've added uh, added public transit, and, and uh, you know there's always uh, you know road closures uh, for you know even for an NFL game you'd have road closures around the uh, around the stadium, so there's going to be road closures around there as well. Uh, something I did a little digging into, I looked at the the, the cheapest available hotel room a couple nights when I when I checked a couple days ago in downtown Seattle for Saturday night is fourteen hundred dollars over fourteen hundred dollars. <laughs> Uh, and that that was for a modest two and a half star hotel in Belltown. So that gives you an idea of how many how many visitors are are going to be uh, in the city. And of course, I, I mean, I don't know if you've ever been down for for Blue Jays weekend in in Seattle, but it, it you know it can sound like a, a Blue Jays home game in Seattle. There yeah. are thousands upon thousands, maybe maybe up to ten, I don't know, maybe up to ten thousand people would be my my best guess on 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 how many uh, Canadians would be coming down to, to cheer on the Jays. 1400 bucks for a hotel room. Is that U.S. or Canadian? That's Canadian dollars. That's what, that's the conversion okay. from, uh, I was on Expedia uh, taking a little poke around. So that was, that was the cheapest one that I found for Saturday. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. Okay. And it, man, you talk about this tour, this Taylor Swift tour. I mean, this thing is just absolute monster, huge, we talk about money here. You think about they must be thrilled in Seattle. And think of the economic impact down there. That's right. Yeah, and it's been estimated that I mean Chicago recently, uh, the Chicago Tourism Board recently, uh, you know, hosted or Chicago recently hosted Taylor Swift, and the Tourism Board uh, said that they had broken an all-time record for hotel rooms used. Wow. Uh, and in Denver, it was uh, estimated that that Taylor Swift had a thirty to thirty-five to forty million dollar economic impact, and that's for each night of her concert uh, in Denver. So that that gives you an idea of just how how immense uh, uh, Taylor Swift uh, is right now. Rob, have a good trip down there. Enjoy the game. Enjoy the crowd surfing there outside the stadiums. It's going to be packed. I guess you just got to be patient when you're down there and just enjoy the experience. You know, I don't think you'll be moving around too quickly there with a crowd that size. <laughs> Will do. It should be yeah. fun. All right, Rob. Thanks for taking the time. Anytime. You bet. Okay, Rob Williams there from the Daily Hive getting set to hit the road down to Seattle. Him and... Thousands of other people. Taylor Swift in for two shows this weekend in Seattle. The Blue Jays in town uh, playing the Seattle Mariners. As you heard Rob describe, there are tons of Blue Jays fans heading down there as well. Um, Yeah, be prepared for waits at the border crossing. If you're thinking maybe you could take the train down there, well, that's kind of limited too. Check online for your transit and and travel options. But but it's going to be a wild weekend in Seattle.
All right, let's talk about the big summer blockbuster movie opening today. Actually, there's two of them, right? You've got Oppenheimer opening today. I'm going to see that that one tonight with my family. And, of course, you also have Barbie opening today. Some people going to see both movies opening today. That's called Barbenheimer, if you're seeing both of them. Barbie, though, wow, talk about the hype for this movie starring Margot Robbie as Barbie, Canada's own Ryan Gosling as Ken. Have a listen to this report and all the hype and hoopla for the Barbie movie here. This is from NBC News. The Barbie movie, a pop culture phenomenon, unleashing a giant pink wave on screen. So cool. On social media, where hashtag Barbie movie has racked up 1.7 billion TikTok mentions. And IRL too. Hard pressed to think of a single film that has created this much buzz and really this much of a craze where it impacts pop culture and it impacts what people are wearing and what people are posting on social media and what they're talking about. Okay, I've got marketing professor Sherry Lambert standing by. First, let me quickly chat with uh, producer Tim French. Tim, tell me the story you told off air here about the Barbie movie. Mike, I gotta say, Barbie mania is real. It is a thing. I went to the movie theater last night with my dad to see the Mission Impossible movie, and when the movie got out at around 10 p.m., there were a bunch of people waiting to, like, in the lobby to go see the Barbie preview, and like, a good chunk of the people were dressed, not just, like, wearing pink but like beautiful gowns full-on outfits (laughs) like this is a real craze it is a thing it really is a thing. Thank you for that, Tim. Let's check in now with Sherry Lambert now. Sherry is Associate Professor of Marketing, Temple University. Hi, Sherry. Thanks for coming on today. Thanks for having me. Yeah, you bet. This is like a marketer's dream here, this movie. Wow. What talk about hype. Talk, tell me a little bit about the marketing of this of this film. This has been quite extraordinary, right? Oh, my gosh. The marketing has been off the charts. Everything from brand activations to collabs, these partnerships are everywhere. I think the last time I looked, it was like 20, approximately 2022 collaborations that Barbie has done with other products. Everything from pool floats to uh, swoon, ready to drink lemonade to Airbnb, a, a pink wrapped Malibu Mansion, Barbie Malibu Mansion. It's ridiculous. And exactly <laughs> as you said, it's off the charts. People in pink and in gowns dressed to the till to go to these to go see the movie. Well, that sounds like a lot of fun. Like people are really getting into it. And why do you think there there's so much interest in this movie? I mean, is it just good marketing or is there there's something else going on here? You know, it's people want to feel good. They want to feel happy. And as a marketer, it is a marketer's dream, as you said, because it's about nostalgia marketing. Barbie's not new. She's not new. She's been around. And um, I think it's just, it's a feel-good nostalgia thing, and people want to get out. And what a great pull for us to get back into the movie theaters, right? It's it's, We've we've been watching a lot of streaming and still have been watching a lot of streaming or watching movies at home. So this is a great pull for us. Yeah, for sure. And I, and I think for, for people who, like, they're looking for something uplifting for sure. And, you know, kids, people will remember playing with Barbies when they were they were kids, right? So like you said, there's yeah. a lot of that nostalgia going on, right? So do you think that... Like, why do you? How do you attribute these the longevity of Barbie and the continuing uh, appeal? How, why has it gone on for so long? Look, I think Barbie. When yeah, I, I don't want to date myself here, but if we <laughs> go back in time, Barbie as as a woman, and you're looking at Barbie, she could be anything, right? She could be an astronaut. She could be a doctor. She could be a lawyer. She could be anything. And I think that feminine, that female empowerment. That was that happened back in back in the 60s and 70s. And it's great to see that again. And in this movie, that's part of it. I'm going to see the movie tonight. Could not get tickets last night at the opening. Um, So this is really great. It's it's about, you know, she can do anything. She's not bound by anything. This movie and a lot of movies aren't necessarily marketed towards women. But Mm. this movie is. And that's also very telling, I think. So it's, I mean, you're going to see some men there. I, sure. They might be 
drag there, but you're going to see some <laughs> men there and um, they might be a little bit, you know, courageous to throw on their pink, but there's, <laughs> there's a lot of buzz around this. And you know what they're calling this July is the pink month. They are really trying to do it. I was just um, walking through a, a town and in the shop windows, everything's pink and everything's mm. Barbie. I think that's incredible. It there's really no is. Best interest, you know, it, no? it, it really is amazing, and I guess for the people in the in the head office and the boardroom over at Mattel Toys, they must be just rubbing their hands together in glee here. The the, the hype. I mean, <laughs> at the end of the day, like, is this? Do you think this is a is it a movie or is it like a an infomercial to sell more toys? Oh my gosh. Well, okay. Well, two things. One, you're absolutely right. They have to be tickled pink. They really do. I mean, they have to be just pinching themselves. Um, I think it's beyond selling toys. I think it's beyond selling toys. It's about selling this movement and this feeling. And um, I think it's it's going to be tough for the movie to live up to the hype. I think right. it's going to be real tough because that think- hype is real and it's real strong. Do you think Barbie is a good role model for for girls and, and young women? Like, I, I was talking to my wife about this last night, and she was saying, you know, when she was a kid and played with Barbies, she remembered that Barbie to her was was a new type of doll that was like this this independent young woman who was out having fun, and it wasn't like a like a you know stuck in the house cooking and taking care of the kids. She was a young single woman, you know, having fun. Yeah. Yep. And if you've seen any of the clips or the trailer on the movie, you definitely see this, right? Because Barbie comes out of Barbie world in this movie. She's in the real world. So she's really exploring. She's the one driving the car. Ken's in the car. Uh You know, she's really taking the bull by the horns and taking charge of her life. So I think that's a message that is going to still to this day resonate with young girls and even our, our Gen Zs, you know, our 25-year-olds, I think they're going to love this movie for that reason. Yeah, and just l- last question for you now. Like, you're a, you're a marketing expert there at uh, at Temple University, Sherry, and when you take a look at the marketing of this, the extraordinary marketing effort in this film, all the sort of commercialization deals and endorsement deals they did and products products and stuff like that, have you ever seen a movie like this that is that has sort of had that wide range of marketing appeal? Not at all. Um, it's interesting. So I've been been in marketing for 30 years and the movie industry is pretty normal in their promotion, right, of movies. I think the only thing that I saw a little different was catching, um, uh, was it one of the Hunger Game movies where they did a transmedia marketing. Nothing has been like this before. This is crazy. And as we started our discussion, it was like, I stopped counting at 22, you know, 22 collaborations or partnerships. And those are just formalized ones, you know, and now we're seeing things, like I said, just even retail establishments, you know, having their entire windows being pink and they might have a little Barbie (laughs) in the window, but they might not. It's just a nod to the brand. And I think that is that's magical. And that is a marketer's dream. Okay, well, let's hope the movie lives up to the hype. I have seen some positive reviews so far, and I hope you have a good time at the movie tonight yourself, Sherry. Thanks for coming on. Thanks for having me. Thanks for listening to the Mike Smith Show podcast. Can't wait for the latest episode to drop. Tune into the show live from 9 to noon on 980 CKNW. Want to reach out to me personally with a question or comment? Send me an email, mike at cknw.com. Thanks again for listening.